Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. The Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Force inside. Jokic. Jokic. 23. of the Rocky Mountain Hits Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado sports, and I had a very, very fun time talking about some very high-frequency stuff on this show with Jeff Siegel of Early Bird Rights. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of all of the stuff that they do over there, and it might be my absolute favorite place to do anything related to finances for the NBA and all-cap everything. He also does draft picks and a lot of scouting stuff, but please, please, please go follow at Early Bird Rights on on Twitter and at JG Seigel. The man is a walking encyclopedia. He is freaking brilliant when it comes to this stuff, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about once we get into this conversation that we had in terms of what the cap implications could be now that coronavirus has suspended the league for over two months and that we still have no idea if basketball is going to be returning. So with all of those different things being taken into account and all of the other issues, I wanted to talk to him specifically to get his input because we don't know a whole lot, but getting experts in who have a great reading on what is going on and how these things could potentially play out using past precedent or whatever else they have in their head is a great way to kind of open up the conversation for casual fans who may not be able to read the legal jargon of the collective bargaining agreement and how the coronavirus impacts it. Like That's a very difficult thing for me to wrap my head around, so I was very thankful to have Jeff on the show. So again, go follow Jeff at JG Siegel on Twitter. Go follow Early Bird Rights. Subscribe to his Patreon which will be in the Mile High Sports article, um, he is just on top of it and one of the most useful resources for so many writers like myself who are looking to continue to cover the league the best way we can. Also, this is so, so cool, and I cannot begin to explain how excited it makes me to be even in the same breath as these individuals, but there is going to be a very big release on the Blue Water Podcast Network. That is because Megan Rapino and Sue Bird are bringing their podcast a touch more to the Blue Water Podcast Network, and I am just absolutely blown away by both of these women. They are as powerful and strong and impactful as anybody on this earth, and it's been absolutely mesmerizing to see their collective ability to impact this country and so many things that are happening throughout the world. So please, please, please go subscribe to A Touch More. I will be listening every single time one of those publishes because, I mean, it's Megan Rapino and Sue Bird. How do you not get excited about that? So with that being said, we're going to take a quick break to tell you about Bet Online, who is the presenting sponsor of this show, and then we're going to get right into my conversation with Jeff Siegel about everything that, the, that could impact the cap due to coronavirus.
With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be entirely wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem, because Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can then bet on to get your fix in. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, even the stock prices and Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All of this is open 24 hours a day, and all of it is entirely online so you can do it from the safety of your own home. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Again, go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today to receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. As I was saying on the intro, I'm here with Jeff Siegel, the editor, the editor and founder of Early Bird Rights, which is by far the best cap site that I personally use. This man is absolutely brilliant when it comes to all of these small minutia of rules. And when it comes to where the league is currently at right now, that is a wealth of information that we could absolutely use because a lot of this is very confusing. So Jeff, how are you doing, man? It's great to finally talk to you. Yeah, things are things are good. Thankfully, you know, everybody's staying healthy and I'm, I'm uh, able to stay healthy here in San Diego. So, you know, everybody's taking it seriously around uh, around my neighborhood. And I'm happy to uh, happy to report that everybody's healthy. That's always so good to hear. But I have to ask, what's the most bizarre thing you've done to pass the time since all this started? I mean, I'm just watching a lot of TV that I would never like, not just that I would never watch before, but that I never really had time to, to sink my teeth into. I'm right. Like I'm in season four of Parks and Rec, which is the first time I'm going through that. Uh, I'm going to you know, watch Upload, I think, on Amazon right after this. Like I've got like a list of TV shows. That all of a sudden I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got two hours to watch this show. You know, and it's it's crazy to think that this time of year, you know, mid-May that we're you know, that I've got time to you know, take two hours away from everything and just watch TV. Yeah, because I mean, we should be dealing with playoffs right now and be preparing for the draft and then whatever comes after it. But obviously, things are a little bit more insane. So we are not going to be doing that right now, though. The way that the cap is working and the way that the impact of coronavirus is having on the CBA as a whole, I find really fascinating. And for a lot of people, it's difficult to kind of take in and understand what's happening because the jargon can be a little bit intimidating and just the overall numbers that are being thrown at you and the complexity of the sentences that you're trying to read. So I feel like having you on here will be a great opportunity for people to kind of get a better idea. And then we'll get into some examples with the nuggets as well but let's talk about the 60-day extension that is basically staving off the force majeure is that how it's pronounced the force yeah. majeure um, clause i believe is what it is what does the 60-day extension do and what does it mean for the nba in a way that the casual fan will be able to understand it essentially there's a there's a clause in the cba that if something crazy happens which a pandemic qualifies as something crazy uh, the, the, the NBA by itself, like the owners have a unilateral, uh, option to just blow up the whole CBA and just start from scratch. Like we're in 2011 again, like we're in the 2017 where they're going to have to rewrite the entire document. 
you know, obviously they can use, you know, portions of the old document. They always do that, you know, and that's, you know, sometimes you get some typos because people just copy and paste and they don't actually read it. But every, you know, for the most part, they can use a lot of what they did before, but triggering that big sort of nuclear option, as, as Woj puts it in his story today, that comes with a lot of sort of ramifications in terms of their negotiation with the players. It, it, triggers the the sort of withholding of a ton more salary than has been withheld so far there's a lot of sort of unintended consequences not unintended but unwanted consequences that would come with that and so the NBA and the NBPA came together and decided hey let's give ourselves another 60 days before the NBA has the option to blow this whole thing up again that you know to me that shows that they're both you know everybody's sort of on the same side here everybody's sort of on the same page with you know what is a, a an unprecedented event and so they need to have more time to sort of a see how it plays out and b negotiate all of the the fallout so it's interesting to me because Michelle Roberts the head of the NBA or the MBPA has always had a seemingly good relationship with Adam Silver but at what point could this get potentially catastrophic for the league what could potentially play out is it just completely scrapping the season to where all of a sudden the 60 day extension is not just giving them more time to negotiate but it leads to that potential you know disastrous outcome are there potential you know I guess pitfalls in their, you know, in the future that they might fall into that could lead to something that drastic. I mean, at this point, literally anything is on the table. I mean, there's there's a chance that there's no, you know, the the 2019-20 season is over, and the 2020-21 season doesn't start until still doesn't start until December, January, February. We don't have fans the entire season next season, and they don't, you know, there's no fans in an NBA arena until the fall of 2021. I mean that's not that doesn't necessarily spell disaster for these negotiation these negotiations because as long as both sides agree that that's what is happening then they'll figure it out from there but if one side disagrees with the other in terms of you know how bad the the situation is and how bad the revenue projections in particular are are supposed to be that's when you end up with a lot of back and forth that's where you end up with perhaps Silver and Roberts no longer being able to negotiate with one another that's when you end up with certain owners who are hit maybe a particularly hard by this uh this pandemic becoming a little bit uh you know unhappy with the way negotiations are going so i mean everything is on the table with this thing we have no idea exactly how you know how the the pandemic is going to you know go up or go down when we hit the fall are we going to have a second wave are we not going to have a second wave when is that vaccine going to be available when are people going to be able to go to games again like they used to be able to and all of that impacts the NBA's revenue which is really the the big thing that they have to figure out right now do you know what the mechanism is to actually deciding to enact that force majeure clause is it a vote is it a majority how does that mechanism work to be able to come to that kind of a conclusion that is a good question, and that's something because it's never happened before. I don't actually know, and I don't think it's necessarily written into the rules. It's not. It's definitely not written into the rules of the CBA. Perhaps it's a two-thirds vote of of the ownership groups. Perhaps it's a a just fifty-one percent. Like you got to have sixteen of the of the thirty teams. Yeah. I don't actually know, and I don't know. I'm not even sure that the NBA specifically knows how they would go about that based on because this thing has never happened before. 
And this is why I wanted to have you on, because it really shows just how unprecedented all this is. Like, I know there's going to be a whole lot of I don't know answers, and we'll just have to wait and see and all stuff like that. But that's really where we're at. And it's not just where we're at. It's where Adam Silver is at. It's where Michelle Roberts is at. It's where every owner is at and every team. They're all navigating entirely, you know, they're treacherous waters and they don't know what's on the other side of this. And what's even more interesting to me is we don't know how the 2021-22 season is even going to be impacted or the 2020-2021 season. If you start talking 18 months of no fans, that can lead to really any number of outcomes. And that is something that I feel like is, from, according to Woj's article, it makes it impossible to set a cap number. It makes it impossible to set a luxury tax number. Is that kind of how you see it as well, that all the uncertainty, not just this season, but the season after and the season after that, have a ripple effect that impacts things right now? Yeah, I mean, the the uncertainty is the biggest thing. If we knew for a fact that there were going to be no fans in arenas for whatever remains of the 1920 season and all of the 20 slash 21 season. If we knew that for a fact, then projecting revenue becomes a little bit easier because the more you know about the fact, you know, the more facts you know, the easier it is to project the revenue. It's the not knowing which has really sort of delayed any decision is why they had to, you know, put on another 60 days onto this, you know, th- this force majeure clock because there's, they just don't know anything right now. And so not knowing makes it impossible to project revenue, which and projected revenue is is precisely how they set the salary cap so that the players get their fair share of, of revenue. But without knowing what that revenue is going to be or without even being able to slightly project it, there's really no way to to set that salary cap. Yeah, and on your cap sheets on earlybirdrights.com, you have the regular projections that they had prior to all of this, which totally makes sense because we have no idea what's coming, like you just said. But in your own head, in your own guesstimations, are you playing with a number that you think that the cap might come in at or a range? Do you have any idea or are you playing with anything in that regard? Yeah, I mean, privately, I'm definitely moving around some numbers and going from about, like, really, I'm, I'm just putting the floor at the the salary cap for this year, which was 109.1 that I, for me, I just, I don't, the conversations that I've had with executives and, and agents and, and just people around the league, it doesn't seem like the sort of catastrophic, the you know, the, the salary cap is going to be whatever, $90 million, $80 million. It doesn't feel like that's even really possible or on the table. I mean, technically anything's possible right now. So, you know, you can't say, you can't say never for some of these things, but for me, I I'm working with a much sort of smaller drop. Like I'm, you know, if it gets below 109, 108, like that would surprise me. I think that they will come to some sort of agreement where either the escrow is higher. So the players pay back more of their salary than 10%, which is what they usually do. Or they they come up with another solution where the salary cap doesn't have to dip just to come right back up in 2021. They can also smooth in that decrease over a few years. I know know, the the Players Association has uh, not been particularly interested in smoothing in the past, but this is sort of reverse smoothing. Uh, Maybe the owners would would look at them and be like, hey, you didn't go for positive smoothing, so we're not going to go for negative smoothing. But, you know, I think that would be a, a beneficial thing for both sides if everybody can agree on it. So there are other options than to just nuke the cap and go down to 80 million and then come right back up to 120 the next year when, when you know, when players and, and uh, you know, fans can get back into the seats and all of the, the revenue is back up to, uh, 
back up to where it's supposed to be. So, you know, to me, I, I don't, I don't see the, the massive ramifications of a, of a $25 million, $30 million drop in the salary cap. I just don't, if, if things go really badly for the negotiations, then yeah, I mean, that might be the way it goes, but I think that they're going to come to a, a solution that's a little bit uh, kinder than that. And what's so interesting for me is how free agents are going to approach this season's of free agency. Because you look back at when there was the big media spike where they signed a new TV deal and everyone was signing these massive one-year contracts. I wondered this year if players, and like we're going to get into more examples, but Jeremy Grant is the most fascinating one to me, is opting into a $9.3 million player option, I believe is what it is, and then trying to bank on that big explosion of the cap the next year, a route that a lot of players end up taking. Or inversely, you look at guys like Paul Millsap, who are at the end of their career, do they try and mortgage this into a three-year deal that's on the mid-level exception when they probably wouldn't have gotten a deal that long because they're able to get it at a lower number? Those dynamics are going to be fascinating because we don't have context for this. We don't know how these people are going to make these decisions. Do you have any insight into how you would anticipate people kind of navigating free agency, you know, as an overarching opinion, not in terms of individual players? Yeah. I mean, I think that's another reason that you get at with why they wouldn't necessarily want the cap to dive one year and then come right back up the next year, because it, disproportionately affects the people who are free agents this year, who are signing new contracts this year. And, you know, it obviously would incentivize a lot of those guys who are not necessarily at the end of their career like Millsap, but, you know, anybody else to sign one-year contracts and get right back out on the market in 2021, because that's when the cap is sort of supposed to come back up if they, you know, if it dives one year and comes back up the next year. I don't know that that's something that, that the league necessarily wants. I know, I mean, I would imagine that it's something that the Players Association doesn't want because that's a whole lot of people who are going to be free agents this year who would, you know, be sort of in a in a bad spot compared to if they smoothed it down and they made it, you know, a little bit more equitable and spread it across multiple free agent classes. I still think even if they do that that we're looking at a lot more short-term contracts this summer just so that people, you know, so that guys have their flexibility and don't get locked into a bad number going forward. But like you said, guys like Millsap who are on the ends of their career, this is, you know, perhaps he just sort of cashes in and goes, hey, as much uncertainty as there is in the world, sign me up to a three-year contract. Now, that way I know exactly what's going on with my career. It's going to be so interesting. And the other level of this too, and the reason that there's so much conversation right now about getting a cap number is the draft coming up. How teams are going to navigate it, even beyond talking to prospects and trying to scout, removing all of that from the equation. The act of going to draft night and making trades and seeing if you want to actually draft a first round pick or if the cap is falling, if you can then trade off of that pick and get off salary with it. How do you envision teams shifting the way that they go about things with this draft day scenario considering how uncertain things are yeah i mean you would you would have to have some level of a a a normal a relative projection for next season before you could have the draft because otherwise people are making trades at the draft having no idea what the financial landscape is for the future you have to at least have some general idea of where the cap is going so that trades can be made so that people so that teams know what they're going to have to pay the guys that they're drafting you know the rookie scale is tied to the cap so if the if the rookie scale is totally in flux between you know if if a guy at the top of the draft is going to make 10 million 
But then with this big drop, he might make $8 million. Like that changes the value of all of these picks relative to, you know, everybody's financial, you know, obligations that are already on the book. So you've got that side of it. You've also got the side of it that if the cap drops and the tax significantly drops, then teams are going to want to, you know, be getting off contracts left and right. And that's going to, you know, that would usually, that means attaching draft picks. That might mean attaching draft picks in this draft. So not having a financial sort of projection for next season when you go into the draft would be catastrophic to those teams because they don't know whether they need to be trying to get off money at the draft or not, or need to, you know, or not having to do that until later. So it's just, I would think that the, the some sort of projection for next year's finances would have to come just at some point before the draft takes place. Obviously, all of the sort of prospect evaluation, the interviews, the you know virtual interviews, if they ha- if they're going to be able to do virtual workouts, all of the sort of prospect centric stuff can be done without a financial projection. But once we get into the actual draft, making trades, making these draft picks, you're going to have to have some sort of knowledge of where things are going in order to, you know, adequately, you know, do the draft. And in that same vein, teams that have already spent, like I saw in Woj's article that the Warriors tax number is just going to continue to skyrocket as the cap number continues to get lower. And that part is so interesting to me because teams and owners are not going to be happy about that because it's not their fault technically. And they're going to argue that probably I envision until the end of time. So I'm trying to picture ideas or mechanisms that could exist to help these teams that are going to be just stuck in cap hell because they don't have another option to because of the way that the cap number eventually falls so like is there an amnesty provision that could potentially make a comeback how do you see that kind of playing out they could do the amnesty they can do i mean they could just eliminate the tax next year they can have the players to agree to that and the players the, nobody on the player side wants the luxury tax to be in place right the luxury tax is a very specific way that the owners can say, hey, I can't spend through the tax financially. That doesn't work for me, right? You are very familiar with that in Denver. Obviously, a lot of small market teams are very familiar with the concept of the tax is basically acts as a hard cap for a lot of teams. And so eliminating the tax, if it's going to save owners a lot of money, would be great for the players because that just means teams are willing to spend through what would have been the tax line in the first place. So that's, I mean, you could either eliminate the tax, you could leave the tax at 140 million, roughly 139 million, and then have the salary cap dip, but just, you know, just leave the tax line up there so that everybody sort of can still plan on the same luxury tax line as they had been planning for all along. There's, you know, there are different ways that, that this can happen. There's also the idea that the tax is some sort of literal tax. I mean, they call it a luxury tax, but it's not like that money disappears, right? The money that people, that teams pay into the tax then gets dispersed among the other teams that are you know currently in the league. And so right now, up to 50% of tax revenue, basically, the, te- the, the teams pay into the tax goes to, that gets split up evenly among the teams that don't pay the tax, right? But if you have a situation where the cap and the tax dive so much that everybody, almost everybody is in the tax at the end of at the end of the, the 2020, 2021 season, then you have a bunch of people just shifting money around, basically. You everybody pays their tax money in, and then the league can decide, hey, let's just disperse the money back out to the teams. And there certainly would be teams that would lose more than others. You know, the, the Warriors, like you said, they would pay more in probably than they would get back out. 
but it's not necessarily like a, you know, whatever, $100 million tax bill or whatever for the, the warriors would necessarily mean that they lose $100 million. They would get a cut back of everybody's tax revenue probably in that situation. The NBA can just do that unilaterally without uh, discussing it with the, the Players Association. So there are a lot of different options here. I think the, the luxury tax sort of gets, uh, has a, is a little bit of a misnomer because it's not like the teams pay the tax and then that money just disappears. The money gets rerouted to the other teams so they can always just decide, hey, everybody pay in and then we'll split the money back out based on whatever criteria they want. So, you know, I think that there is, you know, there, there's a little bit of a situation where the, the, the owners are going to scream poor with the luxury tax. That's going to benefit the players if they just decide, hey, let's get rid of the tax altogether for next season. Or they can decide, hey, let's have the tax exist and then just disperse the money back out later. That's a fascinating idea because on one part, it just makes things extremely simplistic for everybody involved. But two, I think the competitive part of it would be fascinating. If the teams only have so many exceptions and you have to be smart enough to navigate that, even without a tax, what do teams like the Pacers and the Nuggets suddenly have the ability to do? That's a really, really fascinating thing that I have not thought of in any regard before. And I wonder if that's something that makes a lot of sense. It actually ends up happening. Um, that's a really great idea. I had I had literally never thought of it before, so that's fascinating to me. Um, let's move on to the Nuggets and talk about particular examples for players to try and at least give a roadmap for how this could potentially impact individuals. Um, we talked about Paul Millsap at the start, and I think his is very, very fascinating because you would think the Nuggets going forward, they would want to give Paul Millsap a short contract or a couple years at a very, very low number. Now, it seems like with the way that the money is shaking out and the uncertainty that a player in Paul Millsap's position would very much so like to get some consistency, some sustainability, and know where they're going to be. So do you think it was going to be like we talked about earlier, where older players start trying to look for longer-term deals and younger players do this one-year thing? Is that is that something that you have pretty much locked into your brain because there is like a past precedent for it? Or is that more of an assumption based on what you're just anticipating? Yeah, I mean, everything, nothing can be locked in at this point. Nothing is set in stone. So everything is a little bit of like, yeah, that assumption kind of makes some sense. I mean, it, it makes sense in, you know, across the board, no matter what the cap situation is, an older guy is not going to want to continue to bet on himself with these one-year contracts unless he's like LeBron James or something. But yeah. like, if you're just a, a regular sort of veteran player in his mid-30s, locking in a longer-term contract is always a good idea because you're at such a much higher injury risk, a much higher sort of your athleticism just falls off a cliff and your your play really declines. Like it always, no matter what's going on, it always makes sense for a, a veteran like Millsap in his mid-30s who has a lot of miles on his body to just go for even it, go for the most guaranteed money he can get, whether that's spread over three years, four years, or one year, doesn't matter. Just the most guaranteed money he can get makes the most sense for him, kind of no matter what. And, you know, so I think that that's, that makes sense for him. It's really the guys who are looking to maximize their money and are not quite sure how to do it. Those are the most interesting guys for this year. That's where Jeremy Grant comes in. Does he opt out of that 9.3 million? Like it's right on the borderline of whether he's sort of worth more than that or less than that on this kind of market where things are very you know volatile. Who knows you know where things are going? You know, right now, based on where you know where things are literally as we speak right now. His player option decision is still due at the end of June. 
we, I mean, the assumption is that they're going to push that back, that they'll agree with the PA, that they're going to, you know, push all options back until, you know, until right before the offseason, essentially. But right now, as things stand, he's got to make that decision in the next six weeks. And like, uh, you know, I don't think he's actually going to have to make that decision, but it's still technically out there. And if he does have to make that decision, it kind of would make a little bit more sense for him to to opt in and just guarantee that money rather than go into an, uh, an unprecedented free agency where he has no idea what's going on. So, you know, I think assuming he gets to push that option decision back, that option decision still is a is a relatively borderline one because nobody really knows where the, the financial situation is going to go. Nobody knows, you know, what his market is going to look like with so few teams with cap space. And if the cap dips, that's going to go down even more. You know, teams like Phoenix who are going to have space may not if the cap really dips. Where does he get that contract for more than the mid-level exception, which is right about what his option is anyway? So it may make more sense just to lock that money in and then, you know, go into the, the market in 2021. That's it's also very interesting in terms of the way that teams are going to look at this because even if the cap drops, let's arbitrarily put out 20%. That doesn't mean Jeremy Grant is now worth 20% less in terms of a dollar amount value for the production he brings. The fear factor that there is going to be for teams is going to make everybody even more less value in terms of the financial reimbursement they're going to get for their play. Is that something that you're envisioning as well? Yeah, I mean, it's value for each player is going to be so weird right now for next year because there's so many guys who are under contract who would, would, if the cap dips significantly, all everybody who's already under contract is overpaid immediately, except for like the minimum guys. Like really like, you know, it's going to be really interesting to, to just evaluate, you know, just trade value and players in general when the cap dips one year and then comes right back up. How does, you know, where does Jeremy Grant fit into that? His place in the league as just a player doesn't really change based on how the finances change, but his contract value will change dramatically based on things that are entirely out of his control, which is, you know, really unfortunate for him. But that's why, you know, that's why you would think that they'll either smooth it in or they'll do something where the salary cap doesn't necessarily take that massive dip. Yeah, so two, I'm going to move ahead. Two players I wanted to touch on very, very quickly is it's interesting for Mason Plumley, who's going to be an unrestricted backup center in this market. And when you look at very niche individuals like that, when the backup center market was already brutal, it's so hard to envision how a player like that is going to find a deal. And I wonder if he ends up taking a qualifying offer to stay with Denver. And then you look at Troy Daniels, who has just been a journeyman looking for a place to land. And he played what, like eight minutes with Denver? in the last like three games before the season was suspended you have to wonder about those guys but what i'm even more curious about is what the restricted free agency market looks like because the nuggets are going to have tory craig as an rfa and i before all this happened i was concerned that the nuggets were going to get outbid for a guy like him but now again with the fear factor we discussed and the uncertainty and the lack of money does that mean that more restricted free agents like guys with player options might end up staying with that team as opposed to going out and finding a contract elsewhere? I would think so. I think also those guys are going to get squeezed super hard by this process. I mean, restricted free agency is already really, really difficult to navigate unless you're a superstar. You know, know, a guy like Brandon Ingram, he's going to hit restricted free agency and he's going to get whatever he wants, whatever he desires on the the open market because he's Brandon Ingram, right? But Torrey Craig, and we know 
from just the, the history of the league, defense is not the way you're going to make money, right? If you're trying to, if you wanted to skew your, your skills one way or the other, skew them toward offense because offense pays the bills and defense does not. You know, you saw Dorian Finney-Smith who, you know, Tory Craig and Dorian Finney-Smith are sort of equal sort of value wise across the league. You know, Finney-Smith was a, a restricted free agent last year and he signed back for $4 million a year with Dallas. And that was in a normal market with a, a relatively normal amount of cap space around the league. This year, no cap space, uncertain financial situations. Teams are going to be unwilling to, to you know, spend big this summer just because they're not going to have either, you know, ownership is not going to be interested in spending a lot of money when they're already losing a ton of money. And of course, they're just not going to have a lot of money to spend. So you look at a guy like Tory Craig and you add all of that together and you would think that, you know, from Denver's perspective, they've got to be over the moon with how they're just in this very specific situation, how they're going to be able to retain him on what's likely to be a very team friendly contract. And to expand on just that idea of how the Nuggets are probably happy about the financial situation of retaining guys, they have bird rights for every single one of their free agents. So they could keep all of them depending on the value that it would take. And considering how much lower things are getting, they might have the ability to do so, especially at this idea that maybe the tax gets shifted or it ends up staying at the same level that it's at next year despite the cap falling. There's going to be a lot of room to work for the Nuggets in a very interesting way. But the other interesting part is going to be unguaranteed contracts contract for me. Because teams like um, the Rockets, I'm just going to use them as an example. They might look to cut guys who are unguaranteed contracts to save them a buck or two. And the Nuggets have two in Monte Morris and Keita Bates-Jopp, two very different players in very different circumstances. I know Monte Morris wanted to enter into um, contract extension talks this offseason. That was a goal of his. Keita Bates-Jopp is just trying to keep you know keep his name alive in the NBA right now. But they're both on unguaranteed deals, and teams like the Nuggets, who have been and known to try to avoid the cap, could those guys more often than not end up being casualties and get squeezed out in a major way? I mean, I don't think that those two specifically for Denver are going to get squeezed out because Denver's got enough that. sort of financial flexibility. And of course, Monte Morris, cutting Monte Morris would, I mean, oh God. I don't, I, I can't imagine a stupider move Monte that they could make. I mean, you, you would... You could max out Paul Millsap and cutting Monty Morris would still be a dumber move than that. Like it's just, <laughs> the, nobody's doing that. But yeah. there will be guys throughout the league who are on these non-guaranteed deals who may have stuck around otherwise and may have you know, taken that, four, that 15th roster spot. And, but instead, the team decides, hey, we're going to operate with 14 just to save a couple million dollars because things are just that you know, financially dire for the owner, financially dire for the team in general. We're trying to duck whatever tax line there is, and we need that extra million and a half, $2 million. It's not going to happen in Denver specifically with those two guys, but I think it does. It does you, that question is a good one for the league as a whole. I have one last thing that I'm curious about, and this is kind of, I haven't seen this mentioned much, but how much more important is the G League going to suddenly be for NBA teams who don't have the money to fill out their rosters? Because you can find guys for minimums, you can find two-way guys. How much does the G League suddenly become not just a helpful entity, but a premier way to fill out your roster when you need it and the competitiveness to get these guys? Do you see that being something that plays out? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. The, the two-way contracts, because they are basically free, I mean, they cost you in cash, about, you know, a maximum of about $400,000, but they cost you nothing on the cap, nothing on the tax. Those guys are going to be perhaps in a little bit higher demand, but, you know, finding a guy who can really make a difference 
on a two-way contract who is willing to sign a two-way contract, knowing what we know now about how bad those are for players, then, you know, I think that's going to be a, a little bit more difficult. I think you know, you're, you're going to find guys who are just unwilling to sign those deals. I mean, we, we saw that a little bit with Terrence Davis last year. He bet on himself, and, and it worked out beautifully for him. Yeah, you Denver know, the, the, are rolling in their grave about that one right now. They're frustrated that they lost <laughs> Terrence Davis. Sure. But, you know, he, he, he decided to bet on himself. He was not willing to take a two-way contract, and, it, and it's, it's worked out very well for him. Yeah, we'll Kenrick see you know, how he plays this year to, uh, to see you know, what his market's going to be like in 21. You know, and, and for the for the Nuggets specifically, they already have Bull Bull under contract for next season on that two way, so they just have the one spot left. They can obviously cut ties with him at any point and and decide to to move on. I, I'm not sure that two ways two ways I think are going to be valuable, just like they sort of are in, in under normal circumstances, but I'm not sure, you know, especially for a high end competitive team like the Nuggets, are they really gonna find somebody who can significantly you know contribute to to their system particularly because they don't have their own g league team it's not like the miami heat moving guys from sioux falls to miami and they can just sort of perpetually you know develop these guys for for call-ups to the team you know denver doesn't have one of those g league teams where they even have their own system implemented you know all the way through from their pro team to the minor league team I just I, I don't see that necessarily affecting the Nuggets as much, but it could be uh, it could be a boon for for some of the other teams around the league. I know I said it was the last thing, but what you said had my brain working in one more direction. What kind of potential rule changes and shifts in the CBA negotiations can you see? Because Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver are basically at a table eighteen hours a day discussing these things. Seemingly, could there be a renegotiation for how G League contracts work, and could there be a renegotiation about league minimums and being able to help these individuals so they have more security as a two-way contract player? Could you see more avenues like that being taken if they can get to? A point that the pandemic is slowly starting to calm down of course that's obviously priority number one but beyond that could you see some rule changes potentially yeah i mean this is a huge part of this pandemic in general for the nba of course like in the in the grand scheme of things none of this really matters but like in this very specific part of, of what we're talking about here the nba and the nbpa can come together and do whatever they want with the cba the fact is like they could they can decide to just scrap this and move on with a whole new document, which which sort of brings up the question of what else do they want to change? Do they want to change the two-way contracts to make them more lucrative? Do they want to change the, the minimums and the maximums? Do they want to you know loosen extension rules, loosen the trade rules? Do they want to tighten up some of these rules? Do they want to get rid of the tax for this year or get rid of the tax for the next two years? Like there's everything is on the table. And so any rule that you read in the CBA, if you're you know nerdy enough to open the CBA and read it, everything is on the table and everything can be can be negotiated about. So I think that's that's going to be very interesting. I've had some conversations about things that I would like to see changed. You know, for for now, you know, who knows exactly how how much of those things are really on the table? But technically, they can renegotiate pretty much the entire the, the entire way that the NBA is set up right now. 
That's so interesting. And it's going to be like the NBA could entirely shift, not because the pandemic struck, but because they had time to shift things. Like that is a rare opportunity for a sports league and a billion dollar enterprise to be able to completely reconfigure if they feel like a lot of other people are doing while being stuck inside. So it's just interesting to see parallels between just regular people being stuck and also billion dollar sports franchises being stuck inside as well and the way they're kind of going through it. But I'm going to be so interested to see how this plays out. And if you're going to be paying attention, attention to cap breakdowns you have to follow early bird rights please go subscribe to his patreon and please jeff plug yourself plug everything you can plug you absolutely deserve it uh you can follow me on twitter at jg siegel at early bird rights as well if you want just the the salary cap stuff um you know earlybirdrights.com has salary cap sheets has cap based articles has draft articles eventually as soon as i get to them has you know player breakdowns eventually as soon as I get to them I've been a little bit less you know plugged in on the work stuff just with this pandemic trying to relax at least a little bit um, you know I'm, I'm just doing a, a lot of, of that kind of stuff you've got stats over at early bird rights as well which we launched literally on the morning of March 11th and then that <laughs> afternoon that evening everything went to hell and so nobody's looked at the stats the entire time they've been up but they're really interesting if you like you know you know high end advanced stats. That's what we've got up there for you. Those are really, really interesting. Of course, nothing's happening. So if you come back the next day, they're exactly the same because no <laughs> games are on right now. But eventually those will be very you know, useful, I think. And so you, know, you, can, you can prove some of that stuff. And you know, other than that, you know, just you know, stay healthy, stay, you know, try to stay sane out there. And uh, you know, hopefully this uh, helped you, you know, sort of unplug for a little bit. Yeah, and seriously, if you guys have the means, go give him the Patreon love because what he's been doing is so important for so many writers. I am personally a subscriber to his Patreon because of what he's been able to do. So take some time and go do that. I will link it in the article on Mile High Sports for this podcast as well. Jeff, dude, seriously, thank you. Please stay safe, and I cannot wait to talk again soon. Yeah, appreciate you having me. to last longer and go a few extra rounds get to bluechew.com bluechew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level they've got the same active ingredients that are in viagra and cialis so you know that they work and since they're chewable they work faster you can take them anytime day or night even on a full stomach Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in a pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here is a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE.